0: Oh yes, I watch a lot of Rocky. Uh, <laughs> you
1: run around the building.
0: Yeah, the Rocky soundtrack, and, and and I got a few laps in around the building.
1: I always think, like Michelle, if you were giving this advice to somebody else, what would you be telling them to do? And then listen to that.
0: I like how you say your name when you go, when you go through a situation <laughs> in your head, and asking yourself, what do I want? What where do I want to go with this? How do I? How am I going to get there? and then letting those answers kind of form what motivates you to take that step.
1: We have the benefit that I always like to say is there is no ceiling. There is an infinite amount of money that we can make, but it's also up to us to to bring that in.
0: I still hate when you say that.
1: What, when I worked full-time?
0: Yeah.
1: Why, because you know I work more than full-time now?
0: I'm also interested to know that you look at yourself as a tiger.
1: Hi, I'm Michelle.
0: And I'm Steve. And this is a podcast for creatives, an audio experience for creatives and thinkers. So what is your driving motivational factor?
1: Are we getting started on
0: this? (laughs) I was going to just see what your answer was going to be and then like see if it launched into a conversation.
1: There are very few things that I do that I don't choose to do. So if it was my idea to begin with, that's usually enough for me to carry it through because I feel like I've been in this long enough to know that no matter what I'm going to attempt, there are going to be things that come up that are roadblocks or that are going to interrupt my flow or challenges that I'm going to have to get over to get through the entire process. So I think going in armed with that knowledge and attitude um, but also knowing that I could figure it out no matter what kind of takes me through the project. So, yeah, I guess the answer would be choosing to only work on the things I know that I really, really want to do.
0: OK, but that wasn't always the case for you, though. No. So how did it apply to you in your former career or did it, was it something that you had to learn?
1: Like when I worked full time?
0: Yeah. I still hate when you say that.
1: What? When I worked full time? Yeah. Why? Because, you know, I work more than full time now. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. No, I think I was just so eager and so excited to be in the working world. I really did. I loved the actual work I was doing. Most days I was excited to go to work. It wasn't that I was miserable in those careers. It was more so I just had this yearning that I wanted to do things on my terms and i think being so ambitious like just coming out of college thinking that i was going to have this ideal graphic designer lifestyle and then stepping into a corporate world where you realize there's this there's red tape everywhere there are the people who are saying we've always done it this way and having to deal with that i think was was really hard i don't know i just i think that when you're young You feel like you have to prove yourself, so that was probably the motivation. Like even if it was something that I didn't want to do, that wasn't what my focus was. My focus was, okay, I need to show Amy that I can handle this. And fun fact, three of my first bosses were all named Amy, so that's why I used her name there or their their names. (laughs) Yeah, I
0: think I think it's interesting when you're when you're first starting out working at a college um, and you have your first job it does really depend on the organization that you're that you're joining I know that working I mean I've been with the same company since I graduated and we have we've certainly changed the onboarding process when I first started there wasn't a roadmap and the support and the onboarding that you received was not very helpful or I shouldn't say it wasn't very helpful it just, There was so much to learn, and I don't think they had the support in place to prepare you for everything or to at least help you kind of navigate. Now, it's not necessarily saying that you need your hand held, but it's really hard to define success when you don't know what that always looks like. So the motivation for me was really in the understanding. Um, I was more motivated to learn about the place that I actually was to produce work. And when I had the chance to produce something and it came out not terrible, okay, score one for me. That's a nice day. Yeah. Um, as I've gotten older now, and as I got more advanced in the organization, I think the definition started to change. You were more motivated by challenging yourself. You were more motivated by the final product and doing something unique that was going to get results. And you know, so your your definition, I think, of what motivates you sort of evolves over over the years.
1: So you're saying when you first started, you felt like you were just trying to figure out how things work, the politics or the structure versus the actual work that you were producing or working on.
0: Then the, then the final product. Yeah. The, the actual I was more motivated by learning and trying to understand uh, than I was. Anything else? Because I don't think anything I produced my first year or so with the organization was any great shakes. I'm not saying it wasn't good work. I just I look back on it now and I wouldn't even recognize that it was mine.
1: I think that that's true of a lot of jobs and not just entry level positions. But you know, granted, I haven't been in in the full time corporate world in a long time. But just from Watching my husband either hiring people or or getting hired, it seems like there's such a a period of, of adjustment for the employees just to learn how things work. And almost to the point where it's, this is a very sweeping generalization, but it almost seems like more people can do more jobs than one would think. It becomes much more about hopping into the organization and doing things the way that things are done and anyone can really learn any job. And of course, this is not true if you're like a doctor or a lawyer, but, um, I think that there are a lot of positions out there where with, with the right training, which comes along anyway, that person can figure it out. Would you agree with that in, in, yeah. in, in, your experience? Cause I know that you have done a quite a bit of hiring.
0: I think so. Um, but I think, you know, it's inherent upon the organization to be able to support the new person coming in. And I think that's the expectation of, younger demographics that, you know, they're going to be given a path to grow. And if you're not able to provide that, that can seriously impact somebody's motivation. If they're not feeling supported, if they're not feeling, you know, in, in, in one sense taken care of, um, I think that can get into somebody's head and then it becomes a job as opposed to a career. And I've certainly fallen into that category over the years in certain Certain aspects of it, but you know, you hit on something before about when more things are being asked of you. I think that's really interesting because there's a lot of that I think that's happening in our professional world today, where responsibilities are starting to pile up on certain individuals who either produce and or overproduce and do a great job of it, or the structure isn't in place or I should say the infrastructure maybe isn't in place for this team that this organization needs. So the responsibilities fall to one or two people and it can kind of become overwhelming. So how do you or is it possible to navigate that? Because I can I can certainly say from my standpoint, I think it's difficult to keep yourself engaged and motivated to do good work when the knowledge or what's being asked of you is either more than should be or that the, the, the structure isn't in place to help support that. I feel like you can kind of get lost in, a, in, in that work.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that since the recession, a lot of companies have fallen back on this way of doing things where they're like still kind of have that attitude, like you're lucky to even have a job. And in that, a lot of people and roles ended up taking on more and more work. And I don't think that companies have fully recovered from that, even though there has been an upswing. So, I mean, if you're experiencing that, I don't think that you are alone. But bringing this back to motivation, like how do you how do you possibly stay motivated when you have more work than you're supposed to have for your one role?
0: Well, take it out of take it out of the context of what we do for a living and put it in the context of a personal goal, right? If you have a personal goal to lose 10 pounds, Mm -hmm. that's something that can be attainable. I mean, you have to put the measures in place, but it's a very easy motivation. I have a goal and I'm going to achieve this goal. You're kind of setting that. So I almost feel like the way to, you know, it might be difficult if you're dealing with five or six goals that either some of them are your own and some of them are being put on you. But I feel like you have to define almost what your motivation is for each of the things that are kind of on your plate. And it's not always going to be the same, you know, your motivation for doing something that you're, you, you, you typically do a kick-ass job with um, and you produce great content or whatever that might be like that might be motivation enough. You're challenging yourself, your motivation for something else that you might not be as strong as, but it's still being asked of you could be something completely different. It could be something completely lowered in terms of an expectation level. And that's okay. You know, it doesn't always have to be the same thing. You have to be able to take a step. And that has to be motivation enough.
1: But what do you do when you just have too many things? I mean, I feel like you're not being set up for success personally or in your in your work when you have 10 things that you have to prioritize and 10 things that you have to achieve when in reality you're really only able to do a good job with maybe half of those, I mean, I guess it depends on, on the person and and how ambitious you are or how into the, the projects you are. But I, I mean, I found for myself, especially recently, I've realized that I can just do such a better job focusing on few things and like serving less people, but doing it really good. And I don't, maybe that's, that's a personality thing, but Yeah, I I just I have a really hard time hearing that people are expected to do all of these things and are expected to excel at it. I mean, I I think that it's it's one thing to just be like, let's just get by. But I mean, even that (laughs) doesn't make me happy to hear. I mean, would you ever want to work with a company who's telling their employees like we just need to get by on this?
0: No, I don't think that's 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 where I would want to be. But I certainly think you as a person can do something about how you're going about it. I'm asked to do dozens of things on a daily basis. Some of them I enjoy, some of them I can't stand, and I have to do them. Mm -hmm. Now, I try not to just begrudgingly go along. I mean, I don't like them, but it's part of what you're asked to do or it's part of what's being asked of you. Um, I'm fortunate enough to work with a team of people who I care very much about. So trying to grow and develop the people who work underneath me has sort of turned into my my main motivation more recently than it has been. You know, from a selfish standpoint, I was probably more focused on myself in certain instances over the last couple of years. I'd say probably within the last few months, it's really started to turn more towards uh, them. So it makes some of those unenviable tasks that you have to do as a manager worth it because they do have an effect on the people who you manage. So being able to help them get better and, and strengthen them and grow them in all aspects, not just necessarily in the work they're producing, that's a challenge to me and that's a motivating factor to me.
1: I think that's a great motivator. I mean, I know for people pleasers like myself, it can probably go to an unhealthy level. But just like I said in in my first jobs, um, that I, you know I wanted to please my bosses. And show them that I have what it takes. And in your instance, showing you know how much you care about your team is a motivating factor. And I think for a lot of people who might listen to this podcast, um, not wanting to let down their clients or their customers can be a huge motivating factor. And I know for me and especially um, most of the customers and clients that I deal with are come from my Etsy shop. And both my sister and I, my sister Allison helps run my shop. And the two of us will... At most times, drop what we're doing to answer a question or to serve that customer no matter what. It's not even a thought. Sometimes we'll be texting each other at, at one in the morning or like first thing in the morning just to you know make sure that, that we're being responsive to them. And I don't know how to convince someone who might not feel the same way in their business to care. I guess you can't really. That's not something that, that you can teach, right?
0: Well, I think it does help by understanding the person, you know, getting to know what what makes them tick, because it, you're right. You can't just you know, you can't just assess the situation from afar or on your own and say, well, it's clear to me this is what should be driving you. I think it's going to be different for everybody. And I think that's part of the key, at least in, in management. But I'm sure even in, in, in your role, when you're working with, you know, other other people who are looking to, to you know, build their businesses and whatnot, mm-hmm. that they're you're getting to know them for them you know what what what's their driving factor do they are they out to make money are they out to just help people are they out to be uh you know the best philanthropist they could be are they you know whatever that might be that's got to be the carrot and stick approach for it you have to keep that in the forefront of your mind and and let that be your driving factor
1: yeah i don't know in my mind there will never be any greater motivator than <laughs> than people, whether it be a a customer or just like a person I'm emailing back and forth with, especially like the more you get to know certain people. I don't know. I mean, there's nothing that I want more than to just make other people happy. So for me personally, like that, I think that that is always going to be my number one above all.
0: It's funny how it changes as you get older. Like I can say when I was a little kid and going to school, my greatest motivating factor for for doing well in school was to n- have a decent report card so as not to have my parents come down on me. Mm-hmm. I, I it wasn't about learning and it wasn't about any of that stuff. It was really and I'm sure I'm no different than a lot of people, yep. but it was really about not being yelled at. Like that's <laughs> a motivating. And in some ways, it's still a motivating factor, <laughs> maybe not by my parents anymore, but from other certain people that I, I work with. And it's just funny how as you grow and mature and you want more for yourself, your definition of what motivates you changes. And I think you it's important to be constantly doing self-assessments of yourself, of your work, of your surroundings, and asking yourself, what do I want? What where do I want to go with this? How do I, how am I going to get there? And then letting those answers kind of form what motivates you to take that step.
1: So you mentioned before that there are a lot of tasks that you have to do that you aren't necessarily excited about, but you have to do them anyway. Is there anything in particular that you do to get motivated to get those things done that we just don't want to do?
0: Oh yes, I watch a lot of Rocky. Uh, (laughs) You
1: run around the building.
0: Yeah, the Rocky soundtrack, and and I got a few laps in around the building. Um, we do a lot of budget communication work around the school budget. So this is usually right around now, and, and you know the first the first few weeks of August, into early May is really our busy time of season. Um, and among all of the communications projects that we work on around budget um, is uh, newsletters, budget newsletters that we produce. And I have to edit my management strand. I have to edit every one of them. Now I manage about 14 people, and of those 14 people. Multiple people in that group have more than one or two client districts. So I'm looking at somewhere around 19, 20 budget newsletters and it sucks. Um, and, and anybody who's listening to this, who, who works for me or works at BOCES will attest to this. It's, it's grueling work. Um, it's worth it in the sense that you're informing a public and you're trying to get, you're you're trying to inform them about the budget and, and give them an opportunity to to get as much information as they can so they can go to the polls and vote. But the process of doing that and reading 18, 19, 20 newsletters of anywhere between four and 12 pages when you're talking about numbers and it's not effective and it's not it's not.
1: Are these newsletters, a lot of them, are you reading and editing the same type of content over and over again? Or uh, are it, is there variances between each one of them?
0: It varies. Um, It it definitely varies district to district as each district has a vote. But um, a lot of the same general concepts are woven into each of the newsletters. So, you know, you're adding up numbers, you're 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 checking math, you're you know, you know. So it's it wears on you after a while. And there's nothing that really the only thing that motivates me is to get them done. Like I have a I have a thing, you know, we have an editing schedule where you know, I'll, I'll know when the newsletter is coming in and when my, my, my people need it back by, and I have a motivating factor to never, never be late, always get it to them exactly or earlier when they want it, because the quicker I can get it off my plate, the less I have to worry about it and the more they can kind of, so that to me is the only motivating factor is to just get it off my plate. And sometimes that is an acceptable motivating factor is just, let me get this done so I can move on. And that's, that's kind of my, my takeaway from that.
1: Are you someone who thrives on having a progress chart? Were you all about like the gold stars as a kid? Like, would it be helpful to you in this instance to look at your workload and be like, oh, all right, I got five done today. And like, I only have 15 left.
0: Um, you know, what's funny. I, I first I was going to kind of make fun of you for your question, but I actually do. do have, <laughs> I, I do have a, a, a sheet where I'm constantly crossing things off when I'm done with, with the districts. And, um, It's nice. It's nice to look at and and see all those, you know, scratch out marks and be like, okay, you know, I only have X amount to go or whatever it is. So, yeah, that helps putting a list together and keeping a calendar. um, That definitely helps. My my wife is very impressed that I keep a calendar for budget newsletters because I don't really I'm notorious for not keeping lists of things. So uh, she's very proud of my, my newsletter editing checklist.
1: This is like the one area where you're is organized the right word. Probably not. Structured, maybe yeah. maybe
0: organizational structure. You know, yep. like it's it's certainly it's not in my head. Like I'm not keeping track of all the dates in my head. So yeah, I would, you know, organized on paper.
1: Yeah, I'll say that. I like that. I, I mean, I think that that is something that all of us can use to stay motivated: is to be marking our progress and to be kind of celebrating along the way, so it doesn't just feel like the work is for nothing, even though we may not be excited about it.
0: Absolutely, minor wins are still wins. Doesn't matter. It's like the uh, like that old adage in sports, you you know, win like Shrek, you win ugly, like it's fine <laughs> to win ugly. There's nothing wrong with that.
1: Yeah. So I was trying to think of something that I have to do in in my work that I just hate doing and I dread and I put off. And that is definitely asking for the sale. I am more of a content creator. I don't like to sell things or ask people to buy things for me. But as an entrepreneur, it's part of my job. I have to do it. So. I do two things to kind of like trick myself into doing it. One of them is just going in with the mindset that I could be providing someone with that solution that they've been looking for and they haven't been able to find. Or maybe they've been able to find it, but not from someone who they might trust or relate to. And maybe that person could be me. So that is step one is putting the customer at the center of it instead of making it about myself. Because I think, you know, the big part of why I don't want to do it is because, you know, no one likes to feel rejected. And I always have the thought, what if I put this out there and nobody wants it or people are judging me for, for asking for the sale or whatever it is. So that's my first tactic. And my second tactic is to take myself out of it completely and just treat the situation like I'm my employee. So if I had someone working for me. And I gave them this assignment to send out this email with a sale or putting up social media posts, promoting something, just pretending to not be me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know if that makes sense, but that has helped me like in certain instances and not, not just for this, but in other things that I may dread or put off doing because I might feel a little bit more uncomfortable. I always think like, Michelle, if you were giving this advice to somebody else, What would you be telling them to do and then listen to that?
0: I like how you say your name when you go (laughs) go through a situation in your head.
1: (laughs) I might as well, right?
0: For sure. So you know who you're talking to. Yeah, I mean, so
1: there's no confusion.
0: Right, right. You're motivated to not have confusion in your life.
1: Yes. Right. So we actually uh, took to our lovely Instagram audience to ask them if they had any methods or things or little tricks that they do to help them stay motivated, specifically when it comes to things that we just don't want to work on. So the first response we got was from our friend Elaine, who said that she uses the Pomodoro method. And Steve, have you heard of the Pomodoro method before?
0: I have not, no.
1: Okay. So my mastermind partner, Lauren, has used this and brought this up before. And essentially, it's working in 25-minute um, increments. And there's actually this little Pomodoro tomato timer that you can use to time yourself for 25 minutes. There's like an official thing, I think, that you could buy. Or I don't know, maybe there's some kind of virtual version of it. Or you could just use, you know, your your phone. And Elaine said that usually when she thinks and knows that she only has this like 25-minute period to work in, it seems like it's possible that she can get done what she needs to get done. Oh, so I guess if I'm understanding this correctly, you work for 25 minutes, but then you break for five minutes, and then you return to 25 minutes again. I think for Elaine, the first 25 minutes is just kind of getting settled and getting into the groove, and then once she takes her five-minute break, once she starts the second installment is when things really start to jive for her. Uh That makes sense.
0: I'm intrigued by this, by this method. I don't like, at first glance, I don't think it would work for me. And I don't, it's not to knock it because I'm sure there's plenty of people who who do it, but I I think I'm one of those people who I would start getting like anxiety, you know, keeping an eye on the clock and Mm -hmm. being like, is it 20 minutes yet? Is it 25 minutes? You know, and I would just get, I don't think I'd get anything done in the 25 minutes I was probably supposed to be working. So I don't know if that would work for me. Do you think you could employ
1: that I think that I could because I do something similar especially the time that I work during the morning a lot of the time I just I keep my phone face down or I keep it in my bag or away from me so I could just focus on what I'm doing and I think it's Amy Porterfield calls this tiger time because you protect your time like a like a mama would <laughs> to to her tiger cub so i i mean i don't really make this like an official thing but i've kind of gotten myself in the rhythm of once I, I'm a little bit slow to get my morning started, but one, once I start, I want to at least dedicate those first two hours of work to really making some progress. So whether it's Tiger Time or whether it's the Pomodoro method, I, I think it, I mean it's it's worth a shot doing your own version of it where you are committing to doing a certain block of time, whatever that is. And I think for a lot of people, it's just about getting started. Like Steve, for you, it might make sense to be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna do this, but don't set a timer. Just be like, starting now, I'm gonna get through this.
0: That is my method. It's just it's just sit down till it's done. And I'm okay with that. Now I'm not saying that there aren't times where I don't walk away when I've hit a wall, but it's not a timed time thing. I'm also interested to know that you look at yourself as a tiger.
1: Well, I mean, Amy made it up, not me. Yeah, but she well, kind this, of doubt, I'm uh, Dropping another Amy into this podcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> podcast full of Amy's.
1: Yes, the the podcast about Amy's.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. But yeah, no, I, I don't really identify as as being a tiger.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you sold it very well.
1: <laughs> Thanks.
0: <laughs> so we got another one from um, your friend Ashley. Well, our friend, but your friend, friend of the show. Yes, friend of the your show. Friend. Right. Ashley Shelley, um, who talks about that her reputation, uh, means everything to her as a designer. Um, even if she's not enjoying the work that she's doing in the moment, she still gives it her best because at the end of the day and at the end of the project, the income that she's pulling in means a lot to her in terms of, of her bottom line. I think that's also something that a lot of people can identify with money, you know, getting paid at the end of the week and your reputation and having both of those things kind of be at the forefront That's a big motivating factor.
1: Yeah, especially for us entrepreneurs who kind of (laughs) set the direction and the tone for for the income that that we're making. I mean, we have the benefit that I always like to say is there is no ceiling. There is an infinite amount of money that we can make, but it's also up to us to to bring that in. So do you feel like that is ever I don't know if this is a weird question, but do you feel like that's ever really a motivating factor for you? Because like you have your set salary. Do you get paid like overtime or anything like that? No. So I'm sure that, that that can't possibly be something that you. It's not. Rest upon to get motivated.
0: No, it's definitely not. It's definitely not. If anything, repu- it,
1: it can take away from it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Right. There's a lot of I don't get paid enough for this work. Yeah. Um, reputation I can identify with. Um, you know, I, I it's I do care a lot about that. You know, I I think I've worked diligently to make myself known in the school public relations. Field, so I certainly care about being on top of things and um, trying to provide some rationale around, you know, changes in in technology and social and digital and how that affects the work that we do in this field. So, yeah, I do care about that. That is something that if there's something that's breaking out there, I want to have digested whatever it is and be able to to speak about it in case there are questions on it. So, yeah, that's that's certainly I can I can certainly identify with Ashley on that.
1: And I think that you've done a good job. I mean, I'm not really in your professional circle, but I see it. I mean, I see people tweet things about you a lot and you seem like you're really well respected. So I think you're doing a good job at that.
0: Thank you. Coming from a tiger. That means a lot. (laughs) And we got one from we got one from Brooke as well.
1: Yes. Okay. so this is our other friend of the show, Brooke Olson. So Brooke kind of hit on a few things, some that we talked about in the beginning of the episode and some that I think that we need to address. So she listed her ways for staying motivated as music, redelegation, many rewards for myself along the way, and then also convincing someone else that they want to do it for her, which I think goes along with the redelegation. I want to actually start with the rewards for herself along the way, since we kind of already touched on that before. Just to like hammer this point home, I think the rewards are huge, especially in these instances where we have so much work to do and we just get so caught up in it. And it's just like, let's just get on to the next one. Let's just get on to the next one. We really have to consciously stop and say, yes, this is awesome that this is done. Give ourselves a pat on the back. and. For those of us who work with other people, make sure that we go out of our way to tell other people that they're doing a good job, because I don't think that there's nearly enough of that across the board in entrepreneurship or full time. Would you agree?
0: Yeah, I I would. We started this podcast, right, with the idea of having a place where creatives can kind of come together to share and like experiences. But if there's one thing that I've, I've noticed about some people, and I think it's more than some, but some people in this field is... While we have an appreciation for creativity, we can also be very critical. Yeah, and I feel like that can that can really play with somebody's head when they're trying to do something or or, or take a chance uh, with a project or an idea. And if they're concerned about you know their superior or their colleague or somebody else is going to say about whatever that is, it can kind of drive you more towards you know, some vanilla work that okay gets the job done, but you might not necessarily be proud of it, or more importantly, you might have left some food on the table there that you wish you kind of didn't.
1: Yeah. Do you feel like you've done better work as a result of getting positive reinforcement, either from your boss or from team members or elsewhere? It's more
0: it's more support. I, I feel like when you're getting that type of response from somebody It makes you feel more supported. You know, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people who would listen to this would feel pretty comfortable and confident in their skin with taking a chance on something. But I think when it's reaffirmed, I feel like it just kind of supports you a little bit more. And it might give you a little bit more of a chance or it might give you more of a um, springboard to try something. or or something different
1: maybe to give you the confidence like you know that you can attempt something because you know that if you fail or you or you fall you won't really fall you'll be caught by the support that you have in place
0: right agreed
1: so let's return back to Brooke's list because the first thing that she had on here was music and I know that you're a big music guy I'm into music maybe not as much as you are but Does music play a role for you and like, do you have a certain playlist or certain music that you play when you're working on certain things to get in the mood?
0: Yeah, I listen. uh, I I do. Um, I think it annoys people I work with because I'm always plugged in. So some people kind of walk by and they're starting to talk with you and you have to like do that. Like take, you know, take the headphones off. It's a real awkward move. Um yeah, I do. I, I listen to um, I listen to a lot of James Taylor when I work. I find it a little bit more soothing. I don't necessarily like to rock out. I, I think when I'm creating something I have friends who I know who do, but having some kind of sense of calm to the music. I listen to a lot of passenger between passenger and James Taylor and some 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 Billy Joel ballads, I feel like that's usually kind of what gets me through, you know, the work that I'm that I'm doing. Yeah, I find that, you know, I look for that, you know, usually if I'm and you know, if if, if I'm doing something that's not editing sound, uh, there's a better than than, you know, good chance that I have, you know, music on.
1: Yeah, I kind of have you? my in the same realm, I guess you can say, I listen to more chill music when I'm writing like that that morning block that I referred to when I really feel like I need to get a lot of work done I almost always listen to Glenn Miller who if he's too old for our audience to even know who he is he's kind of like a big band guy from 30s 40s um, and I listen to the same playlist almost every day and that signal that I'm starting that playlist I feel like has trained my mind to know like okay Michelle, Hey, I'm talking to myself again.
0: <laughs> that is funny. Yeah, that is funny. That that because I, I I as soon as you said that, I was thinking the same thing. Like I do listen to the same the same playlist, the same rotation of songs. Usually, it's a large playlist, but it's it's the same rotation of songs that I know. Even when I'm not at work and it happens to come on, you're kind of mentally transported back to the office for a second because yes. you you recognize that you associate that with with work time.
1: Yeah. And sometimes I'll also listen to Glenn Miller in my kitchen when I'm cooking because I feel like it's it's very soothing, but it, it has the same effect where it's just it's familiar to me. It's not too intense. It can hang in the background and it means that I can concentrate on what I'm doing, whether that's cooking or writing. But I do listen to more upbeat music when I'm doing creative work, for sure. I mean, I think for me that breeds creativity, design work specifically, because anything other than that, like writing emails, writing in general, I either need something super mellow or not, or silence. I have a really hard time Sometimes writing with like any kind of noise,
0: I can write with music. I'm okay with that. Again, it's got to be something
1: you familiar, know,
0: yeah, and and soft. Mm-hmm. But I I can write with music. I'm okay with that. I think when it starts to get a little bit upbeat, the you know the rhythm it kind of throws me off a little bit.
1: So I'm sure we'll put this social prompt out there, but it would be really cool to hear from the audience to hear either if they have a certain playlist that they listen to when they're doing certain tasks. Or if they have that song or artist that triggers to know that they have to work on a certain thing, I think that would be really cool to compare. All right. So the last thing that Brooke mentions is delegation. And this has been something that I have really started to embrace over the last two years. I've been forced to embrace this. And this is when given the opportunity to let go of something that you really don't want to work on and you know you're not going to do a good job on, have someone else do it. And this is hard for entrepreneurs because it means we need to let go of that control and we need to trust that the other person's going to do as good of a job as we would. And oftentimes we have to pay them. So taking all those factors into account, we have to weigh whether or not it's worth it. And for me, I found certain things to be totally worth it.
0: Isn't that part of that whole self-awareness piece, though? I mean, know what you're good at, know what your strengths are.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Because if you know someone can do just as good of a job as you or better, why wouldn't you have them do it?
0: Right. If it improves, the, if it improves the bottom line in the product, I mean, you guys are working
1: towards a common goal anyway. Yeah. Do you ever delegate in your job? I mean, I know that you you manage people, so that has to be a big part of your job. But do you ever delegate things that you don't want to do and push them off onto other people?
0: No. I mean, yeah, there are things that that, that do fall under that that heading. But I'll tell you where the, where I have kind of had to learn to let things go a little bit is within the creative areas of like you know, video editing or uh, social content. I spent five years as the, you know, I guess you could call me the social media coordinator for our organization, actually executing the work, producing the content, posting the content, managing the strategy, all that stuff. This year, I've moved more into, I don't know if it's moved or just... Uh, assume the role of this supervisory role. And there's somebody who now does that work, who works under, not underneath me, but who works for our our team. And there have been times where we've had conversations and, you know, my instincts would go one way and her instincts kind of go another way. And you have to allow that to play out. Not so much because I'm right and she's wrong or she's right and I'm wrong, but you have to trust the person's abilities underneath you. She's an incredibly talented social media uh, mind. Uh, nothing she's going to do is going to put us as an organization in a bad spot. So trust, I think, is, is is a huge part of delegation. It's not just pushing things off that you don't want to necessarily do, but it's it's leveraging the people around you and their abilities to help strengthen the whole.
1: That makes a lot of sense. Still learning, but I'll get there.
0: I think it takes time. I think there's a big, you know, you own, you own it. Uh, You know, I mean, your name is on it. If it wasn't your organization, your company and your name wasn't on it, you probably wouldn't care as much. Not saying you wouldn't care at all, but you wouldn't care as much. But hell, it's your bottom line here. So, yeah, I think that that probably takes a little bit longer in, in your field as it would for me.
1: Yeah. Good talk. Good talk. We'd love to continue this conversation with you guys over on social media.
0: Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pod4Creatives.
1: I lost my train of thought. Where did this start?
0: It was going so well. It
1: was. (laughs) All right. Let's move on. That's
0: such an awkward all right.
1: I don't know that I can do this right now. All right. Yeah. Okay. What are you doing over there? Nothing. <laughs> There's a now lot of I'm a- scrolling.
0: No. <laughs> now I'm motivated to not use my phone.
1: <laughs> Steve, go into Tiger Time, please. Oh
0: god, I want to know what Tiger Time is about. <laughs>